do this. Let's talk about talk. Hey there, I'm Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. You can call me Andrea. Thanks for listening to Talk About Talk. This is where we come to learn and talk about all things communication. Because when we communicate effectively, we can be a better manager, colleague, parent, partner, and friend. Today we're talking authenticity. In this podcast, you'll learn how to define authenticity, why it's important, how to detect it, and how to communicate it. In a moment, I'm going to introduce you to our guest expert, Anna Serrano, the Chief Digital Officer at the Canadian Film Centre and Managing Director of a technology accelerator called Idea Boost, amongst other things. But first, I'm going to share with you a few interesting things that I learned about authenticity. As always, I'll summarize everything briefly at the end, and you can always reference the podcast show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website. So, whether you're driving or walking the dog or working in your kitchen, whatever you're doing, you don't need to stop and take notes. They're all easily accessible all the time on the Talk About Talk website. Okay, authenticity. It seems like a buzzword lately. Is Trump authentic? Is Justin Trudeau authentic? And that two-step authentication you need to get into your online account? No, we are not talking about technology or IT authentication. We're talking about authentic people and authentic brands. So what is authenticity? Well, it depends on the context. Here, we're talking about authenticity in terms of psychology and social psychology, as well as in brand marketing. We're talking about the extent to which one acts consistently with their true self or their real self. And aside, You'll hear in a moment from our guest, Anna Serrano, there might be a difference between our true self and our real self. What we're saying here is that authenticity means acting consistently with the true or real self, as opposed to the fake self, the idealized self, or the superficial self. You know, putting on airs. When I was reading up on authenticity, I started to feel very self-conscious about everything I was saying and doing. Am I dressing in an authentic way? Am I talking in an authentic way? And even, is what I'm thinking authentic? I mean, aren't we all acting to some extent? Well, yes. It could be argued that everything we do is guided to some extent by our desire to be seen in some particular way. That reminds me. I remember reading a long time ago about how ironic it is that some teenagers who choose to rebel to not conform do so by dressing in goth. You know, that sort of vampire look, pale skin, black hair black clothing, piercing, and tattoos. But then, ironically, these teenagers are conforming to the goth culture. Isn't that fascinating? Okay, I digress. Let's get back to this. When we consider authenticity, we are considering it both for people or individuals, as well as for brands. So again, we're talking social psychology, and we're talking brand marketing. Whether you're a consumer or a marketer, or maybe both, Brand authenticity is an interesting thing to consider. Consumers compare a brand's values, which could be explicitly or implicitly communicated, versus its actions. So, does the product deliver benefits that are consistent with these brand values? Does the firm act in accordance with these values in terms of its HR and manufacturing policies? These days, social media amplifies the voice of angry consumers who accuse brands of being inauthentic. According to research, only about 50% of consumers trust businesses in general, and only 4%, yes, 4%, trust advertising. It's no wonder when businesses are saying one thing and doing another. And when I say businesses, I mean 
all the people affiliated with the business or who represent the business, all of them, from the CEO all the way down to the frontline worker. There's the story of the CEO of a company called Feminist Apparel, who was accused of sexual abuse. Isn't that disgusting? And on the front lines, there are stories of Coca-Cola truck drivers drinking Pepsi on the job and fast food restaurant managers shouting racial slurs at customers despite their employer's stated values of inclusiveness. Wow. As I was reading through all this material on authenticity, I kept wondering about one thing in particular. Consistency. So authenticity is about walking the talk or being consistent. If you act one way in real life, you should act or communicate the same way on social media, right? And if your corporate values are about valuing the little guy, you better pay that little guy well, and so on. It makes sense. But what about consistency over time? What about continuity? I read an academic article that defined perceived brand authenticity as a combination of four factors. Credibility, integrity, symbolism, and continuity. It's this last one, continuity over time, that really gets me. Can we change? As individuals or as brands, can we change? Well, yes, of course we can. And we do change over time. Can we change and still be authentic? That is where it can get messy. You'll hear in a minute about a recent example that illustrates this, as well as Anna Serrano's take on this. Before we get to that, let me share with you two main things that you can do as an individual or as a business to ensure that you are being authentic. First, examine your history. This is related to the continuity over time point. As a person, this is your family and your upbringing. As a business, this is your heritage, how you started and your founders. Yes, people and companies change. But your history is part of who you are, part of your identity. If you're truly authentic and your values change, then you might want to be explicit and clear about that. Second, try to observe yourself objectively and also identify what is unique about you. This can be tough, but basically try to be self-aware. Consider how others perceive you. What is the unique thing that others always mention about you? What do you value? What do you love? And what do you hate? If you're talking about a brand, it could be the one thing that you do better than other brands. That might be your true self, your authentic self. All right, let's do this. Our guest expert today is Anna Serrano. Anna and I met a few months ago at an ensemble conference here in Toronto. She was on stage as a panelist, and I was so impressed with what she had to say. She really is brilliant and discerning. That is how I'd characterize her. I knew I had to get her in front of the Talk About Talk listeners. You'll see what I mean in a minute. Anna Serrano is the Chief Digital Officer of the Canadian Film Centre and Managing Director of its Media and Entertainment Technology Accelerator called Idea Boost. She's also an adjunct professor at OCAD University, co-chair of the Open Democracy Project and their annual Democracy Summit, Democracy Exchange, and she also sits on numerous boards, including the Canadian Museum of Human Rights and the Centre for Mindfulness Studies. Serrano has received numerous awards from the digital media, film, and theatre industries around the world, including a Digi Award for Visionary of the Year from the Academy of Canadian Cinema and Television, a Best Canadian Feature Film Award from the International Real Asian Film Festival for her own transmedia production called Prison Dancer, The Musical. And in 2018, she was presented with the insignia as the Chevalier d'Ordre des Arts et des Lettres, pardon my French, by the French government. Anna is also passionate about authenticity in all of her roles. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. 
Let's just get right into the nitty gritty and start with what your definition of authenticity is. I think it's the act of being real or true. And it's interesting that I'm using the word act there (laughs) because um, it's either you are real or true, but can you also act real and true? And I think that's the, the purpose of this conversation is to unpack where that performative aspect of authenticity lies. Okay, so let's unpack it. So let me ask you one question first. Is there a difference between real and true? No, I think they're different. I think in a weird way, real could have a more sort of almost scientific proof around it. You know, you could imagine observable phenomenon as being real. True perhaps is less observable and is also attached to a certain amount of subjectivity. So that's not from the Oxford Dictionary or anything like that, but that's how I would um, make a distinction between the two. Okay. So an example of that that I'm thinking of is someone who is expressing their true beliefs about something, but when you hook them up to an MRI or something that's taking latent measures of their physical reactions, it would say that what they're saying is true actually is not really what their body is saying. Sure. That's sure. An example. Sure. Sure. That's okay. an example. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in your definition, you also use the word act, which is just getting right into it, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, so yes. there's what we want to be. And when I say we, we are, of course, talking about us as individuals in the many roles that we have, but also us representing the brands that we work on yes. as marketers. Yes. So what do you mean when you say act? Well, I think especially today, although I'm not sure to what extent the digital realm has amplified the performative nature of authenticity, perhaps authenticity has always been performed even without the performance being mediated by any kind of media, okay, whether that's print, book, etc., right? But I think it is important to understand that there's a fine line between being authentic and performing authenticity. Okay. So the being is your true self? Well, I wouldn't call it true self. It's actually, it has to do with how much we mediate our representation of ourselves to others. So some people think that we're constantly mediating how we want others to see us, okay? So any kind of communication is a kind of like a conscious or unconscious projection of ourself in the way we want to be perceived. So as a psychologist, the term self-awareness is coming up, right, in my mind. So it's it's to the extent to which you're self-aware of appropriate behaviors or words and then presenting or performing consistent with those. How much is the presentation of the self in any way, shape, or form performative unconsciously or consciously? And so in a way, if, if you think about that, then all of a sudden, any of the ways in which we represent ourselves as either being authentic or uh, victimized or, or yep. those could all be performative in a way. Yeah. So my brain's exploding with all the different examples, right? I <laughs> yeah. Have how I dress to come here. Yeah. Am I dressing yeah. as my authentic yeah. self? Am I yeah. trying to conform yeah. to something to make you think something? Yeah. Right? And so I think, but I think all, I don't want people to get all freaked out about this <laughs> because it can get really kind of like, oh no, am I really not being true because I'm performing my truth? Whatever. You know, I, I don't, I'm not saying this to, to give us yet another thing to be anxious about. I'm just saying it to say, you know, 
communication is complex, basically, which is what your podcast is all has been all about. It's not, it's actually not just a simple, you relay a message and someone receives it. There's a lot that goes on in the relaying and there's a lot that goes on as it travels and there's a lot that goes on when it's received. Absolutely. Okay. So we use the term self-awareness when it comes to an individual. What would be analogous to that for an online brand? So as a human, I'm self-aware. Yeah. As a brand. Well, I think what I have noticed being, um, I would say, a medium expert at social media. And I say medium in that I think I'm adept at uh, managing my social media profiles or at least the performance, my performances in social media, if you will, but I'm, I'm certainly not, that's not my full-time job. And so I don't devote a hundred percent, 24 seven of my day to it. But, uh, you know, posting often enough, you start to intuitively understand the cadence, the tone, the responses, kind of the phrasing, the, the nuance. I don't know if this is the way it is for everyone, but that's actually what makes social media fun for me. So I see it as a, a kind of like a conscious creative craft where I'm trying to really not, not to be inauthentic. Okay. Again, because I'm trying, it's not like I'm trying to pretend to be anyone else other than I am, especially in the personal social media uh, accounts that I have or platforms that I, that I'm in. It's more like I have an idea that, you know, Instagram is a private account for me. And that's where I talk about my son, you know? And so, and actually it's less about how I talk about my son. It's actually a space where I'm trying to display my visual prowess. So for me, Instagram is all about the type of photography I like to take and um, and the kinds of things that I like to present about my visual eye, if you will. And in, unfortunately, or fortunately, my poor, you know, beleaguered son is my is my model in many of these photographs, that's right? That's funny. So that's, uh, so that's become my thing. On Facebook, I'm a, a lot more of the citizen activist type uh, sort of persona. And that's certainly a part of my life, but that's what I'm sort of curating um, in that platform. And so I know which parts of myself I'm showing on which platforms. Mm-hmm. And depending on those selves, I start to really understand that the stuff that I talk about, the cadence, the tone, the things, and then you start to understand what people respond to. And so right. you, you, you give them more of what they're looking for, depending on the responses. So it sounds like you're describing a learning curve, right? Where, as you said, if you were on it 24-7, your learning curve would be vertical and you would quickly learn what gets responses. Is that the goal? I'm kind of playing the devil's advocate here, but is the goal to get responses? No, well, is it the goal? Let me see. Let me see. For sure, the platforms are created to encourage that kind of feedback loop, right? So for sure, like the answer can't possibly be no. The answer is definitely a yes, but the but then the question becomes, is that the only goal? And I don't think it's the only goal, right. you know? So uh, the answer is yes, not necessarily because that's the explicit sort of perceived and conscious goal you might have. For many people, it's probably not conscious unless you're like, that's really what you're doing, which right. is if you're an influencer and you, and you're you know that you're counting your likes because yeah. that translates into money. But for most people, I don't think they really think of it as like, oh, I want 300 likes for this. That's my goal. I don't think they consciously think that. But I think because the platforms are built that way, you can't help but kind of 
make that be a metric to determine whether or not what you've said resonates. It's less about the the likes, really. It's more like, am I looking stupid when I post this? Um, or does this resonate? So it's about resonance, I think, in mm -hmm. many ways, which is slightly more nuanced than likes. Mm -hmm. Because I think likes is very transactional, which is like, I want likes because it makes me money. Um, for the average person who's just using social media to start to curate conversations with their communities, what they're really looking for is resonance. Right. And probably from people that they respect. Yes, That's and, the thing that I keep thinking. That th for the, exactly, exactly. So there's a qualifier to that. So it's not just the quantity, but who, who responded. So whether it's in the context of uh, social media and it also, again, whether it's personal or for a brand, why does authenticity matter? Because, um, because the medium is an intimate medium. The medium appears to be one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. So if you look at YouTube, for example, there's a reason why all the major YouTubers have their face <laughs> in the first thing you see is their face and they go, hello, everybody. You know, like it looks like they're talking to you. They're connecting with each individual. Yeah. And the same with though, podcasting, right? The you're, same, they exactly. say you're literally yeah. in people's heads exactly. because you got your earbuds on. Yeah, yeah. So it's because of the intimacy of the medium, despite the fact that it was never meant to be this broadcast medium. I mean, what's really interesting about digital networked media is it was supposed to be this kind of like multi-channel, many-to-many, one-to-one broadcast medium that was the antidote to the broadcast media of television, where you've got the expert telling everyone what to do, right? Mm -hmm. But what's happened, I think, is that you've had this weird shift where many of the mainstream platforms, especially the ones, the monopolies like YouTube, the, the, it's become a broadcast medium, which is one to many, but it disguises itself as a one to one. What do you mean by that? Meaning like it's definitely a one to many, but it feels like it's a uh, one to one because of the intimacy of it. Okay. You know, and also I'm not sure if you were getting at this, but the democratization of it where suddenly the person that was being broadcasted to can, can relatively to two, easily yes, exactly. broadcast of course, of back. Course. That's a key part of it is yeah. that there's a, there's a two, it's a two way street. So what happens then when a brand or say an influencer, whoever it is, is perceived as being inauthentic? I think you can get a backlash very, very quickly, you know, very quickly. I mean, you just have to, I'm I, I, I'm almost scared to bring this up, yeah. okay? Three weeks before the election, we have a perfect case study of a brand, you know, one of our revered brands in Canada, the prime minister's brand, taking a beating for things that were revealed that did not fit the brand that they were promoting across all the media platforms, including social media, you know, and the social media use of the prime minister's office or the prime minister himself was quite adept. You know, there are yep. many, many instances of um, posts that spoke uh, directly to creating an intimate relationship between the life of the prime minister, the the kind of ordinariness yep. of his yep. life. The and, and actually his, his employment of social media, and particularly yeah. Instagram, I think is actually part of his brand. Yes. Not exactly. just the message, but even Ex just the medium. Exactly. Exactly. And then, and then you've got the stuff that came out in the yearbooks. And I think where people really looked very carefully was like, okay, so 
how is he going to respond to this? How is he going to, how authentic will his response to this particular issue of the yearbook photos be? And that authenticity is an interesting to thing to watch because it's different at a press conference uh, distributed via media channels. Um, when, versus, he has pre- when he has prepared remarks. Yeah, yeah, versus whatever he tweets out versus the subsequent tweets that he might put out that's more formal versus, yeah. So it's like, you then see, wow, you know, it's, it's a very difficult thing to cultivate. And now I'm talking about it as true authenticity, which is even weirder. But, <laughs> you know, it's very difficult to cultivate sort of a, a more conscious, well, I guess true authenticity, I think. You know. So I think this is actually a great example for yeah. us because you you spoke about the yearbooks from what was it 15 years ago? Yeah, 2001. And then, so there's the consistency of what he's communicating in terms of his values yeah. then. Yeah. Implicitly, right? Yeah. Then. Yeah. yeah. And today, implicitly yeah. and explicitly yeah. communicating things. Yeah. And then also today, it's across medium. So yes. here's the meta question. Is authenticity consistency? Is that really what it is? No, no, okay. no, I, not at all. I don't think so at all. People change. People change. I think I think the best we can do with authenticity is sort of as close to an expression of what you believe to be true at the time that you're telling it. So personally yeah. and professionally, I yeah. agree. Yeah. But the rhetoric, the discourse out there right yeah. now is all about how can we trust him if he said and did this 15 years ago and now he's saying and doing something completely different. So if I were to do a, 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 an audit of the responses to his responses, let's say, there's responses to his apology that's politicized. And then there's a whole bunch of responses to his apology that I think span the continuum of understanding that they that they buy the sincerity or at least they believe that he thinks he's being sincere in his apology but there are those who don't care how sincere he is and therefore still will chastise him for not knowing any better and then there are those who say okay he may think he's sincere I'll bu- I'll grant him that but let's look at his actions and then the other part which is like let's check out what he does from here on in you know so the responses then are you're basically creating a segmentation scheme, right? There's yeah. the people who care, the people that don't care, the people yeah. who are politicized, the ones who yeah. aren't, the people who believe them, the ones that yeah. don't, yeah. the ones that think people could change and the ones yeah. that think people fundamentally can't change. Yeah. So across all those dimensions, yeah. you have a myriad yeah. of segments that you could put people into. So, but the truth is this, this is a, a huge challenge for him. And the other example, when I Google inauthentic brand faux pas or anything yeah. like that, the yeah. example that came up a couple of times was Whole Foods in the States, which was touting all sorts of great values for our planet and for our people. And then they were caught putting barely perished, in fact, not quite perished food out in bins, like in the garbage, basically. They were... Oh, dear. I didn't, yeah. even, I didn't even yeah. know about that. It was a long time ago. Yeah. But so whether it's your reputation at work and something happens and people think, what? She's not as professional as I thought she was. Yeah. Or it could be you're a prime ministerial candidate who's trying to get reelected and something's rediscovered from your past. Or it could be that you're a retailer who has explicitly touted certain values yeah. and then you've been caught doing things that are inconsistent with those values. Yeah. yeah. What can you do? I'm probably employing digital media again, but what can you do about that? Well, I guess the one thing we haven't talked about is like you can think you're authentic. And I understand there are certain moments when 
you can't actually reveal, especially if you're in public office, let's say. It might be very difficult to actually say exactly what you feel or think, right? Exactly. Yep. So I get that part. But but if you didn't have to worry about that and you could actually do this, then the other part that I think helps us determine how authentic that piece of communication is, is whether the attendant actions either at the time or in the future match what's being said. So, um, it's walking the talk. It's yeah. So I think part of it is, has to do with this walking in the talk thing. And then in the new digital economy, that yeah. would be demonstrating that in an appropriate way across each platform. I think in the digital economy, what is absolutely clear is how you behave is so much more easily capturable, if you will. Information moves so fast and travels so quickly that it's very difficult not to get caught in a lie if you are actually saying one thing and doing another. I think I think that's very hard to do unless... Well, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe that is easier to do than, you know, certainly there are lots of examples of corporations doing things for a very long time that the public didn't know about, right? Right. And so it depends on your time frame. Eventually you get caught? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's, I found lots of stuff when I was doing the research on authenticity yeah. about Trump. There's the question of whether he is authentic because he seems scattered. And this is yeah. back to the consistency yeah. thing, right? Well, I think Trump is a very interesting figure because I think, well, that's an understatement, <laughs> but weirdly enough, I think he is authentic in that he truly believes what he is saying is real or true. At the time. At the time. So that is what translates across media. And perhaps that's what has translated to his supporters. They believe him when he says, you know, whatever, I can't even. We're going to make America yeah, great again. Exactly. Yeah. He conveys it with unequivocal belief. And so I guess his supporters, that delivery resonates with his supporters. I can't say whether he has any mental illness or what psychological profile he has. Certainly there's been enough written about him by experts who are suggesting that he is a particular type of psychological profile, in which case that particular profile tends to be delusional. And so the delusion extends to him really thinking that what he does and say is true and real and comes from this authentic place. That's fascinating, actually. A psychiatrist, I suppose, would be the person that would do the assessment or analysis of this. But when I was doing the research on authenticity, they said in the psychology, it's true self, it's original self, it's vulnerable self, and it's consistency. And then mm -hmm. for inauthentic, it's fake self, idealized, superficial, pseudo self, and these are qualities associated with narcissism, yeah. which is a term that I've heard associated with yeah, him. Trump. Yes, yes. But yes. then he also gets written up as being the most authentic candidate because of exactly what you just said. He says what he thinks. So well, it's yeah, a no, real it is, conundrum. It is a right? conundrum. It is absolutely, <laughs> look, yeah. It is absolutely a conundrum. Okay. I actually read something yesterday on LinkedIn that mm -hmm. a friend of mine posted, and it was a comparison of millennials mm -hmm. versus Gen Z, their work styles and their true values and their desires and all sorts of things. And on one of the lines, it said that millennials prefer brands that share their values mm -hmm. and Gen Zs prefer brands that feel authentic. And I was like, <laughs> wow. 
So the older folks, they want to hear about what the brand's values are. And, and I, I think, I feel like this gets a lot of discourse in marketing write-ups mm-hmm. and branding, right? Like what are, what are your brand values? Make sure you're communicating it consistently and et cetera. Is it unique enough? Is it consistent mm-hmm. enough? And then apparently Gen Z's, they care less. They just want the brand to feel authentic. What do you think about that? I actually think that they mean the same things, okay? The difference is that where the values get distributed to Gen Z is in the digital media platforms. And because the digital media platforms Mm. are intimate media, the way values get reflected is in the feeling of authenticity. I actually mm-hmm. think they're they're the same thing. We see where it gets tricky is this notion of feeling authentic and or being authentic. I honestly think it has to do with the delivery medium. And I think if Instagram is your medium, the sharing of values on Instagram, let's say, is is really the feeling of authenticity in that medium. I think I've got it. I think it's yeah. we share the same values versus yeah. Perhaps they're saying that the Generation Zs are more open-minded to diverse perspectives. And as long as you are being you. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you think that's what it is? Might be. That's interesting. Mm. So do you think then that Gen Z is all about self-actualization? And that you can be It wouldn't be be a bad thing, would it? (laughs) Another thing that comes up in the writing about authenticity is the difference between being nice versus being good. So. Nice is more conforming to expectations and being pleasant and acting positive versus being good is about being honest. Mm -hmm. When I think of branding, I think of the conflict, I guess, between being for profit, but then also having strategic priorities or values associated with the firm that really aren't related to profit at all that you that you want to communicate because they're socially valued. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) You know what mm -hmm. I'm trying to say? Yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, we are in that kind of bizarre arena right now where there's a lot of greenwashing, there's a lot of art washing, there's a lot of um, social impact washing, what have you, right? Where corporations are using some of these like changing cultural values to promote their activities or their products, thinking that that's all that's required, essentially. And that and for um, the benefit of their shareholders. And for the benefit of their shareholders. Yeah. And that's what I mean, I guess, by saying, you know, you do that at your peril, because more and more people are getting cynical. And really, it's like the post Snowden world, right? Where it's not, you don't have to be a whistleblower to kind of be in that mode of trying to ensure that who you say you are is really who you are from a brand perspective. I think that's a very difficult road to travel if the type of uh, marketing that you end up doing is just lip service to certain cultural values that aren't really part of your firm's core DNA. What is the definition of it being core to your DNA? So the, again, I think there's a there's a continuum of thought around that, right? Some of the so for the purists, if you will, <laughs> core DNA means is it embedded structurally in the way you do business? Mm-hmm. You know, so do you treat your employees well? Do you give them minimum wage? Do you have gender parity? Do you have and, and that's for a particular set of values? Obviously, not all corporations will purport to have those values, but for the ones that do, you know, th- there are certain structural issues around how you run your business that are going to matter to those shareholders who have bought into that type of branding if that's what you used. 
And that's where yeah. um, Whole Foods got caught, yes, yes, right? Because exactly, they were saying things exactly. and then they weren't doing the thing. Exactly, exactly. So that's the hardest part. And then I think there's a whole variety of incremental moves towards that structural end. And that's where I think people are are now, where they're mm-hmm. trying to negotiate exactly where is the line. So the other continuum, th- that was nice versus good, okay? Yeah. Or nice versus honest. And then the other one is individualism versus conforming or individualism versus outer authenticity. Yeah. Meaning yeah. you're conforming to yeah. expectations. So yeah. perhaps social expectations yeah. or, or corporate expectations. As a, So for me as a brand, the way I would like, not, not, not as a personal brand, I don't mean it like that, but, but I've always been a proponent vis-a-vis, br- vis-a-vis businesses to really understand what their differentiated value proposition is. And so, because I think if you know what your differentiated value proposition is, and it has to be a value proposition, meaning you are actually delivering value to someone. And if you know what makes that value unique to someone, then you're able to connect with that someone and that someone will connect to you and perhaps purchase whatever it is you're purchasing. Okay. To that me, is, that is, is so, can I just yeah. interrupt you yeah. and say that was beautiful marketing? Oh. <laughs> was it? Yes, okay. absolutely. You okay. should teach a class. But anyway, but that to me is actually the uh, an expression, a brand's expression yes. of authenticity, because you know what your product is, why you made it, you know why it's good, mm. why it's important, why it's valuable, mm. and to whom and for whom. And so, I think it's really important to have that as mm-hmm. part of your core. And, mm-hmm. and then if you understand that and the marketers of your firm know that, then they know how to communicate that value. And that becomes a, an authentic way of communicating that value. And I have to tell you, yeah. based on my experience yeah. in consulting, working yeah. on boards, so many organizations are just stuck missing that. They don't yeah. understand that there is something about them that is probably important to them yeah. that is also important to their current and prospective customers or consumers. Yeah that is unique versus their competition and they need to find that thing and hang their hat on it. Yeah. And then they will be authentic and they will succeed. I suppose that is such an important perspective for me because we run an accelerator. So, you know, we're dealing with founders and startup founders all the time. And, and that is the core thing. If they don't know what their product is doing and why. So people talk about it as product market fit. I actually hate that terminology. I don't think it has the essence of that notion of a, of, of delivering value to someone. So the product market fit is almost like decoupled from the reason why most people do this kind of work, which is they do it because they found something that they think would be of value to other people and they want to see how they can make them, how they can share. So there's a generosity and sort of creative act in entrepreneurship that in a weird way, I think has been stripped out from all of the rhetoric surrounding startup ecosystems, especially the ones that are coming out of Silicon Valley, because they've made it this kind of scientific three-step way of how to make profit, you know, as opposed to really looking at like, well, why do people make things? You know, what is this creative act all about? Right. 
right? They're trying to systematize it. They're, yeah. they're putting textbook frameworks basically on something that is much simpler than that. But in yeah. another way, you, you have to almost make, like, allow yourself to be vulnerable to yes. really get what it is. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Huh? Well, when you were talking, you're, I was yeah. thinking, I know exactly why I'm doing what I yeah. do. I am so passionate about communication and how powerful it can be if you know how to do it. Yeah. And I want to learn more about that myself personally and share what I do know with people to help them become more effective parents, coworkers, managers, whatever they're doing, right? Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to ask you one last question in terms of advice for listeners. Obviously, being perceived as being authentic is a positive thing. So what can people do to ensure that they are perceived as authentic? So because there's actually a video of me uh, floating around on the internet with me saying this, I'll say it again. Okay. So my biggest advice to myself, to my son, and in fact, I just shared this with them the other day, which will make the audience members laugh perhaps. And certainly um, the, the young people that I mentor is it's really, really important to know when your stinks. That is one of the most important things. And it all stems down to self-awareness. You can't actually be authentic if you don't have an awareness of how you process information, synthesize and process. And when I say information, it doesn't have to be just words. It can be what you see and how you feel and, and all that sort of stuff, right? So internally and externally. Internally and externally. Okay. And um, and if you have no knowledge of how regulated or unregulated your emotional responses are. And so self-regulation is the most one of the most important skills that we are going to need as we try to negotiate what will be a very difficult time in the next 25 years, you know, as the planet gets taxed with the issues plaguing us and as we need to start sharing space with a lot more people. This is not just an issue for our daily lives in terms of our jobs, or but it's going to be an issue of survival. Right. You're thinking about yourself, your family, and then humanity. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Beautiful. So now I'm going to ask you the five rapid fire questions that I ask every guest. Okay. The first question is, what are your pet peeves? Oh my gosh, I don't have very many, but like people who are fake. People who are not self-aware? Yeah, people who are not <laughs> self-aware. Yeah, I would say yes. But I have a lot of compassion for people who aren't self-aware too, because it's very difficult work. So, um, so it's both. <laughs> we just gone off on that one. Yeah. But. Second question. What type of learner are you? Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or some other kind of learner? Um, I would say visual. I, I'm a reader. Okay. Is that visual? Do you draw things in your mind? Do you think in pictures? Do I draw the sort of? What I like to do is really make connections. That's my favorite thing in life, is to gather data from all sorts of different corners and then start to draw connections between them. That's oh. what I like. So yeah. one of my favorite people on the planet, who also I interviewed in my 11th podcast, focused on storytelling as a professor at Harvard Business School. And he says that being able to make those connections from apparently disparate places yeah. is actually a key indicator of intelligence. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's true though, right? Yeah. If you can think yeah. abstractly about something and yeah. then bring it in and adjust yeah. your thinking. Okay. Question number three, introvert or extrovert? I'm an introverted extrovert. It means that on the whole, I'm extroverted, but then I crash very quickly. 
And so I will perform, 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 and then I need to Netflix and chill for hours on end. <laughs> okay, okay. Question number four, communication preference for personal conversations. This is the pet peeve of my entire social circle, which is I like to call people. <laughs> and they're like, why aren't you texting me? Stop calling, including my partner. It's like, you could have tell, told me that in a text, like, stop calling us. <laughs> so why so, do you think you want to call people all the time and your and your friends and colleagues don't? I don't know. Like, I guess I'm a chitty chatter. I don't know. Like, I just need, that's how I connect. Texting, I find is too, oh, you know what it is? I know, I know what it is. Weirdly enough, anytime I write, I think of it as like a creative act. And so even texting or email or whatever, not to say that I overthink my texts or anything, but you know, you're, you're creating something. So you search for the right gift or whatever. Well, as for me, when I'm talking on the phone, I'm, I'm, I feel like it's more natural or something. More spontaneous. More spontaneous. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a podcast or a blog or an email newsletter that you recommend the most lately? Well, I'm a big, because we invested in them. So obviously the logic and the discourse are, are two local news sources that I go to often. The logic is from Toronto and it, it focuses on the innovation economy in Canada. And then the discourse is another local news, but it focuses on communities. So they have particular um, issues surrounding different communities. So I like those. I like Exponential View. And then in terms of podcasts, I'm a, I, I guess you're not allowed to use the term anymore, but I'm, I'm not a lawyer podcaster because I pick and choose episodes and I flit and flit and fly around you know yeah I'm a podcast slut (laughs) I think people use podcasts like that now more they're googling within podcasts for topics so we're not all sluts because we use google (laughs) true that is true. Um, so there is one thing I do want to recommend. So for podcast, again, another company that we um, invested in at ID Boost, it's called The Podacy. So it's the Goodreads of podcasting. And so it's a place where people who love podcasts can talk to each other and you can share and recommend episodes and, and things like that. So you should be on Podacy for sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. How can listeners connect with you? Can they email you or? Um, yeah, they can definitely uh, find me via email. So it's aserrano at cfccreates.com. Okay. I'll leave yeah. a link to that in yeah. the show notes. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about authenticity or communication and authenticity? No, only that this is, has been such a great conversation. I'm now really, really curious about all the other podcasts in this series and I can't wait to listen to them. Oh, that's great. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. It was Thank great you. to get to know you better. Yeah. Well, Now you can see why I ran up to Anna at that ensemble conference when I first heard her speak, and I asked her if she would share her expertise with Talk About Talk listeners. It really was such a privilege and so much fun to sit down for an hour and pick her brain about authenticity. I'll leave links to the organizations that she's involved with in the show notes if you want to learn more about what she does. You can also find the transcript and summary of key learnings in the show notes. Let me summarize those key learnings now. We've covered what authenticity is, why it's important, and how to detect and communicate it. Anna said that authenticity is the act of being real or true, or, as she says, acting consistently with your true or real self. Why is authenticity important? There actually are several reasons. For starters, authenticity is important and becoming more so because people, your friends, your colleagues, your customers, are becoming more savvy and more skeptical. They're less trusting and they have access to more information to determine whether you're being authentic. 
And that relates to the second reason why authenticity is so important. Anna highlighted that the digital realm has amplified the performative nature of authenticity. So people are performing online. They're posting their vacations, their amazing meals, and themselves all dressed up and airbrushed or filtered. In marketing, there's been a lot of what Anna refers to as greenwashing and art washing and social impact washing. Don't you love those terms? But ultimately, these individuals and these brands who aren't being authentic, who are acting inconsistently with their true or real identity, are found out and rebuked. Last, how do we evaluate and communicate authenticity? There really are just two things here. There's considering your history, and there's observing yourself objectively. So first, examine your history. This goes back to what I said at the very beginning about continuity over time. As a person, this is your family and your upbringing. As a business, this is your heritage, how you started, your founders. And if you're a political candidate and your view about racism or even how you express racial tolerance have changed, you need to be explicit about that. Right, Justin? Yes, people and companies and political candidates can change. But our history is part of who we are. It's part of our identity. And then second, we can communicate authenticity by observing ourselves objectively. Anna talked about self-awareness and self-regulation and mediating our representation of ourselves to others. She said, and I quote, self-regulation is one of the most important skills that we're going to need. And particularly, it will be a very difficult time in the next 25 years as the planet gets taxed with the issues plaguing us and as we need to start sharing space with a lot more people. Now I'm going to leave you with one last quote from Anna. She said that when it comes to the significance of authenticity, quote, I'm not saying this to give us yet another thing to be anxious about. I'm just saying communication is complex, which is what your podcast is all about. It's not just as simple as you relay a message and someone receives it. There's a lot that goes in on the relaying and there's a lot that goes in as it travels and there's a lot that goes on when it's received. Nicely put, Anna. Thank you. All right, that's it. I hope you learned something about authenticity, what it is, why it's important, and how to detect and communicate it. Now, I leave you with three ways that you can learn more about how to become a more confident communicator with Talk About Talk. First, you can sign up for the Talk About Talk email newsletter. The link to do so is on the website, or just send me an email and I'll add you myself. I'm at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. And don't worry, I won't fill your email inbox with junk. That would be ironic, wouldn't it? It's only once a week, it's helpful, and it's brief. The second way is by subscribing to the podcast if you haven't already. You can do this through the Talk About Talk website or through your favorite podcast player, like Apple or Stitcher or Spotify or whatever. And the third way you can learn more about communication skills is a new one. I just launched a new Facebook group. It's called the Talk About Our Communication Skills Group. And that's exactly what it is. Amongst other things, we will do a deep dive into adopting one critical communication skill every month. I hope you'll join us there. It's free, and I'm hoping it'll give us all a kick in the butt when it comes to improving our communication. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and talk soon. 